going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Crazy Face Uno podcast, where everyone has a story and everyone's story matters. What's your story? In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we want to let you all know that we'll be donating 100% of our sales and donations at crazyfaceuno.com. That's crazyfaceuno.com to the World Central Kitchen, founded by Chef Jose Andre. If you are not familiar with the World Central Kitchen or Jose Andre, please check them out and learn more about the amazing work they're doing around the world today. Together, we can defeat this invisible enemy. And with that said, I'm your host, Shane McNeely, and boy, are you in for a treat today. Please welcome my friend, Katie Strand. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Shane. How's it going? I know, I know. It's wild, wild, I, wild west out there, I think. It kind of is. It's uh, <laughs> un- unprecedented. Even yes. my parents who are 81 and 79 are like, you've never seen anything like this in our lifetime. And I'm like, yeah, I know. 1918 was before you were born. Yeah. Unlike most things <laughs> in modern era. <laughs> my dad remembers getting a TV, but they've yeah. never been through a pandemic. I know, you know? I know. It's, it's still wild. It's still kind of surreal, though it, it uh, I don't know. It's a little bit more real than surreal now, um, but yeah, it's still kind of like, you know, I I've been saying this, and there's probably somebody I know, but I don't. I at this point in time, like, I don't know of anyone that has been affected by it other than the obvious, you know, um, that's yeah. caught the the disease or, or caught COVID nineteen, and so I don't know. It just it puts this literally like invisible enemy kind of image in your head. It really does. Um, yeah, and it's. It's funny, a lot of people I know are like, <laughs> are, um, you know, in the film industry, because that's where I've worked most of my career, and yeah. they're like, well, there's lots of shows to stream, like, they're all <laughs> talking about yeah. shows to watch, and, yeah. you know, they're all on hiatus, all of their shows are on hiatus. For you sure. asked me how I'm doing, and I actually skirted the question. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed that. Talking about my parents, <laughs> you noticed that, so yeah. I'm aware of that. So I'll just tell you that, um, you know, it's an interesting thing, because I've heard different people say they're bored or whatever and I know people are legitimately stressed about work mm-hmm. and money and all of that yeah um because I've been a freelancer I kind of am used to having you know uncertainty in my work <laughs> even though it's not ideal for sure it's still just something I've grown accustomed to yeah um and I just finished working on a commercial remotely so that was kind of interesting that I was doing a remote job while everything was starting to get shut down yeah like, oh, I'm already working from home yeah Woo-hoo. Yeah, kind of works out. <laughs> kind of works out. I was just in LA this week wrapping that commercial, and instead, I stayed in Minneapolis, where I'm now based, um, and finished nice. the job. And then I'm kind of like off work, but I have a little bit of money saved because that's just how we do it. Street yeah, masters. we yeah. save money when we work, and then we, you know, usually most most of my friends that work, do this kind of work, we kind of live modestly in between jobs just to like, yeah, you know, make ends meet between the gigs but they usually come you know for experience and we we have you know decent resume and decent network yeah so that's kind of so that's one aspect of this the other thing is that you know i've been meditating for a long time that mm-hmm. really really helps because i'm pretty comfortable like in aloneness or in quiet or sure in stillness. sure which and most then, people aren't well it's an interesting thing because most people aren't and i've heard so many people say to me i'm quoting i'm bad at meditating and i'm like and i it takes practice. Yeah. Because I'm like, you can't really be bad at it. You either do it or you don't do it. Yeah. But I it also takes most. practice to like 
maybe they want more out of it than they feel like they're getting potentially or you know it's like they're not doing it for an hour and falling into some trance you know like transcendental you know like whatever but it's the expectation and what they experience exactly is is disparate so they're like wait i'm supposed to feel peace and like stillness i'm like and I, I try to tell them, and I, you know, I've taught this a little bit. I'm like, I know monks have been meditating for twenty, meditating for twenty years, like every day, and they still have those, the, the times when they sit and they, they feel restless. They have yeah. a monkey mind, as it's called. So, so like, just, just do it. Just sit. And yeah. part of the experience is being present to your mind being restless, being your, your mind telling you, I don't want to sit still. This dumb, like all that stuff is actually part of the whole thing, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I feel like it's a potentially big opportunity for everybody to like get more comfortable and stillness mm-hmm. and to find inspiration and in, like not having like their schedules booked out to just exactly to, you know yeah waking to sleep a lot of people's schedules are just booked out you know with they work during the day and then the kids at night mm-hmm. and then when their kids go to sleep they do dishes or they do you know chores or they do work or whatever and it's yeah like everyone's full all day long which can be good and productive but it can also be a little bit of a way to distract ourselves from what you know, being present to the moment or whatever, whatever. So Definitely. I don't need to get into the super ethereal kind of. <laughs> hey, no worry, stuff you're right fine. First thing, but <laughs> the other the other piece to this that you know, but yeah. um, I'm introducing your listeners to this is that I I at 39 lost my husband. Mm, uh, we yes. were together nine years, and he died in 2017. And so that was like the hardest thing I've ever been through to like. Ooh, I can't to, imagine. Like, put it mildly. Like, the hardest thing I've been through, what does that look like? Well, it was, like, daily sobbing breakdowns, like, mm-hmm. dealing with doctors. It was a year of him in and out of hospital, all these procedures. He had kidney um, issues, and so that was what ultimately took his life. And the last year was really, really rough, like, really bad because he kept surviving all these infections. But sure. it was clear that, like, the dialysis and having kidneys that don't work was was just – his body was just too damaged from all of that. And people yeah. who haven't – I didn't know. People who haven't kind of been around that or under, don't understand it, um, dialysis is a poor substitute for kidneys. So mm. it still will kind of clear out some of the acid that we get cleared through our urine and through that the kidney process. But dialysis doesn't do as good a job of it. And so you still you have all these weird side effects. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so that, those just kind of came to a head in 2017 um, with, with some neuropathy, with um, his, his actually losing circulation, his left foot especially. And they were talking mm-hmm. about amputating that. And, um, and with an infection in his abdomen and like all these different things just kept happening that was just, and you know, resulted in him dying in November. Mm -hmm. Um, and so going through that and then having this experience now, it's sort of like weirdly, I don't want to minimize anybody that's in the military. That's not part of my experience, but it was like, I was battle tested with that really challenging experience. And now I'm like, this is so bad. We have to stay home and. (laughs) <laughs> go out and walk and I have to mind my spending I can't go out to like yeah. a restaurant or a bar well that's not a big deal because when I'm most of them are thrifty, closed now anyway <laughs> yeah they're all closed like when I'm thrifty I don't go to eat anyway yeah I'm always you know making food at home sure and I like to eat healthy so in a weird way I like was prepared for this but I didn't yeah. want to be like I wouldn't have <laughs> yeah. ever wanted that experience because I had it 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 prepared me for like this sort of challenging sure. experience I'm curious what's going to happen I'm really curious how long it'll last, Man. how many people get it, how it impacts the medical you know, system. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest concerns people have because our medical system doesn't have the quote-unquote beds 
right. to accommodate if everybody gets this, which it looks like at some point everybody will because of how it spreads mm-hmm. and it's on yeah. asymptomatic for so long and all that stuff. But right. I'm doing, like, I'm generally, you know, it's been two and a half years since Marcus died. I'm oddly happy. Like, it's like that's my baseline. And yeah. sometimes I feel sad and I feel grief and I go into that and then I've learned to just not resist it. You know, I got, mm-hmm. I did get a degree in psychology, so that really helped me kind of do a lot of my, like, inner exploration of my mental and emotional states. Yeah. But I go into that grief and sadness, I cry for a bit, and then I kind of let go. And then it passes. You know, mm-hmm. it's, like, temporary. So then I kind of mm-hmm. come back to this sort of, like, huh, that tree is really pretty. Like, I can kind of find things in the moment to yeah. be grateful for. Um well, and that's the funny thing like, about grief. I mean, right? I mean, there's so many so many pieces to it, but it sounds like you're in a healthy place. I mean, that's like that's the dream, right? The feelings don't go away. We've anybody that's like lost someone, like you you don't forget them. You don't never. forget the memories that you had with them. I mean, nope. you you think about them. You things trigger your mind and yeah, there are moments that maybe you are sad, you know? Yeah. But it's like being able to see through the sadness, to see the beauty in what you you are experiencing, I think is yeah. is a sign of healthy grieving and like just part of part of life and complete honest. You know, to be completely honest, I mean, it's uh, nobody nobody that's lived more than a you know I don't even know how many years, but anyone who's in adulthood has probably lost somebody. You know, absolutely. and as we get older and yeah. older, that increases. You know, my parents have lost a bunch of friends now at their age in life. Yeah. And so I'm I'm writing because I'm you know I'm a filmmaker but I'm a songwriter too and so uh, I'm writing a show with songs and storytelling about like what what I went through in part because I'm like like what I love about storytelling whether it's in form of books or or podcasts yeah like this or movies is I like you know relating to people's experiences that's what a lot of us like yeah you know, or the voyeuristic aspects of reality TV or oh god definitely no, that's not me that's a hot mess but like yeah. I want to share about this experience because part of it is like finding gratitude for who he was and yeah. our relationship. Honoring Even though him. I miss him and I'd rather ha- have him here healthy and well, I wouldn't wish him here to be really sick again. That sucks, you know? Yeah, for but sure. But like honoring him and his memory because he was a teacher. He taught martial arts. He taught yeah. meditation. He taught Qigong. He was a health coach. And so like, you know, it's weird because like one of the things you talked about is like you're happy, but then you're sa- you're sad, and like you, that you, that's healthy grief. Part of it for me is like what I would not have known if I hadn't experienced is that sometimes happy, Completely. just purely happy moments have a have a have a sadness component to it. Because it's like I wish he was here to yeah. experience this, so yeah. I could share this with him. Right. You know, this beautiful day or this beautiful moment or mm-hmm. like. When your happiness, your joy, like, yeah. Yeah, it's like my joy has a little, it has a twinge of sadness because it's like I wish, yeah, I could share this with him. You know, he was, he was oddly one of the happiest people I've ever known, mm. given that he had kidney failure, and yeah. so like for him, like forgiveness was huge. Like he wasn't a grudge holder, so yeah, he had a few friends and clients over the years where they would have, you know, different, um, you know, falling out or separation or whatever, and he would always just be like, "Hey, when you're ready to talk," because they would get, <laughs> they would get mad at him. <laughs> their coach and he'd be honest with them you know this as a as a coach yep. of uh, sports you know that your players your students will get mad at you and sometimes mm-hmm. you know it's it's different when you're in a school setting but like his were all adults that yeah. just had clients and 
martial arts students and so they'd sometimes get mad at him for telling him like hey you, you know if you don't clean this up this might go bad for you <laughs> like right behavior. they get mad and go away for a few months or a few years and they come back around like oh dude you were right he's like hey it's good to see you again like he didn't hold a grudge and i realized that part of his happiness was like forgiving but he got dealt this hand of like yeah. oh your kidneys failed for no reason like the doctors couldn't figure out why it was just hmm. a weird i think it was a my theory is it was a an infection that went sure. undetected sure. that went to spread to his kidneys, like a urinary tract infection, which aren't that common for men. And he just didn't have symptoms. And then yeah. years later, he got like was throwing up or whatever years, months throwing up, uh, uh, you know, just couldn't keep food down three, four days of that. He thought he had a really bad flu or stomach flu, went into the hospital and they were like, Oh, your kidneys are failing. He's like, No, 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 you're that's not possible. I'm a healthy guy. I don't yeah. like, I don't do any of the things that would make my kidneys fail. I don't do drugs. I don't yeah, you know, all these different things. I'm not diabetic. I'm not it wasn't in an accident. Like traumatic things can have your kidneys challenged and fail and he had none of those. So they they couldn't figure it out and so then he just was like through his way of being, his years of meditation prior to, he just like, okay, how can I find a way to make my life beautiful and give back? So he then would always, like, he, he definitely got paid to, like, teach martial arts and, and help coach clients on health or weight loss or whatever. Mm-hmm. But any kidney patient, any any kidney dialysis patient that came to him for, like, just general, like, health nutrition coaching, because they obviously still had their doctors. He wasn't replacing that. It was just mm-hmm. more of a, of a health coach for, like, nutrition and stuff. And so he didn't charge them. He's like, you, you can donate if you want, but I won't charge you because you're a kidney patient. Wow, that's so cool. He had he had won that like she like won an award at her dialysis center or whatever city she was in somewhere in Arizona, I think, because her her numbers got so good. Like they thought they were gonna have to do surgery, and they did because he like changed her diet. She like he's like I only learned that because of my experience. So I'm I'm yeah. able to give back from my experience, and that that's something that I can feel grateful for, and that I get to help people in a way that I wouldn't have. So he like kept finding gratitude, and like you'd think, you know, we weren't we're not re- he wasn't really religious, but he was very spiritual, and like it'd be so justified to be angry at God or just angry at whatever for yeah. being dealt his hand. And he just found just instead was like, okay, how can I make my life beautiful? And mm. so we had a relationship for almost 10 years, almost nine years. And, um, I, I sometimes joke, I'm like, I had a decade with the guru. Cause he was, just, <laughs> he was just a really like really pretty profound person in my life. And so like, I keep leaning into the gratitude of that. And then that helps to, you know, just, um, I don't know, manage the sadness, just like to really feel it. And then yeah. go, I learned so much from him. You know, sure, I yeah, for sure. Because of his impact on my life. So Absolutely. Katie, man, I love it. We're like 15 <laughs> minutes in and we're just like, we're just going for it. <laughs> well, let me start off with this. So yeah. you and I met for the first time uh, this year, like, maybe yeah. a month ago or so. I mean, it hasn't been yeah. too long. Well, probably a little longer than that. But um, yeah, you and one of my friends and my, my former boss um, were kind of in the area and coming through and you end up staying with me and my wife and we got to catch up then. And yeah. you were like, yeah, let's do it. Like we were hoping to be able to, um, you know, do a podcast or kind of hang out and spend a little more time with each other. But I had to go home. I had some family stuff and it's funny you mentioned kidney issues, which that's what my grandfather was dealing with. And, um, Katie, I, I left the next day before you guys even woke up. Uh, I bought, we bought a ticket at like 11 o'clock, 1130 at night. And, uh, yeah. I was gone the next morning at like, I don't know, 
seven, eight o'clock. I don't remember what time it was, but um, yeah, he was dealing with some kidney issues and, and he's still, he's still alive, still, still working through all of that. Um, yeah, we can, wow. we can chat about that later. I don't want to just spoil it. This, this is your grandfather? Yeah, he's, uh, he's in a nursing home, you know, he's in, um, in the, the end stages of his life and uh yeah, yeah they had but you got to have some time with him was he coherent yeah yeah he was right. you know as much as he could be he's got a lot of different health issues but yeah yeah he knew i was there and um yeah i got to say my goodbyes while i was there and and that's good you know it's 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 important it's meaningful and it's always good i you know i i always want to be the people that are the person that people can lean on and um especially my family you know and it was really good to be able to go home and, I spent two weeks there just kind of helping my family out and just being present sometimes I think has a lot of um, yeah benefits and, and it just helps people kind of comfort people and relieve a little stress just to know that you've got somebody's got your back and somebody's there for you um, but yeah so we, we met then and um, you've had some I I've done a little research Katie I, I know a little bit about you but I don't know a lot um, but you've got you've you've done some cool projects. You've had your your hands on some fun projects and fun things over the years. Um, yeah. Fill us in. Well, my origin story instead of my 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 most recent traumatic experience. <laughs> Man, well we're gonna we're gonna get into the origin story for sure. But uh, yeah, maybe maybe in the last like several years. I mean, uh, I don't know how far back. See, normally, so this is this is the interesting part. Um, Katie, you and I, usually I kind of tease out um, from my friends and people that I haven't talked to in like 10 years. And I'm like, oh, fill me in on the last like 10 years of your life, you know? And then we yeah. dig into their childhood and we work back to present day. Um, so I'm like, I don't know how far to go back necessarily, Katie, but go back as far <laughs> as you think is necessary. But would you mind kind of sharing with the listeners, you, you touched on a little bit in the beginning here, but some of the different yeah. projects you, you're a part of, now and and have been a part of maybe um in the more recent few you know past yeah i'm happy to talk about that so um uh let's see here um well people love this one so i'll share about this this is kind of fun so <laughs> sure. i i worked on a deadpool 2 commercial nice um in 2018 and um that was uh, the one where Deadpool or Ryan Reynolds playing Deadpool was uh -huh. on a unicorn. It was a unicorn, uh, a commercial with a unicorn, which my friends who have kids loved. They were yeah. like, what, unicorn? It was a white horse, like a <laughs> painted pink mane and had, a, of course, a, a fake horn. But um, that was a commercial I worked on, and it was cute. One of the cute things about it was that I was working directly with Ryan. I was the, I was the talent, uh, producer talent handler, and... Ryan came up to me. He's like, hi, my name's Ryan. And I was like, yeah, everybody knows who you are. And he's like, <laughs> I'm sure in his mind, you know, because he's a funny person, you know. And yeah. I, I worked with him, you know, on that on that shoot. And he was very lovely to work with. You know, it's a variety of, of experiences you have with people on. on I was going to say that TV. as well. I've heard some stories from friends yep. and people that are in similar roles. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. I'm sure in his mind he's like, well, I'm not gonna be the jerk who just yeah. assumes everybody knows who I am. Right. And the other thing is, out in public, what I'm what I've learned over the years is that people get celebrities' names wrong. Oh yeah, you know, I'm like, sure. Like especially if you have like a similar profile, like um, if you're a, a, a whatever, if you're African American actor, 
Yeah. Like, people often call you by another, like Samuel Jackson will get Lawrence Fishburne and vice versa. Oh, gosh. Just because people just associate people Man. who are similar. <laughs> so there's a lot of that. Humanity going. is, uh, we're, we're, yeah, uh, we're, we're rough. You know? that, but, so that was, that was kind of a riot to work on. That was kind of fun. Yeah. And then, um, uh, let's see. I've worked on a bunch of PBS documentaries over the years and camera, doing camera stuff. And sure. that's been really, really, really fun. Oddly enough, I I find that actually documentaries are the most interesting to work on. Mm. And you kind of wouldn't think that because like, it's like and I haven't worked <coughs> on super duper big budget movies, but I worked on some budget TV shows for like yeah. Fox and NBC and stuff. And those are fine and some scripted stuff. And that's great too. But with the scripted stuff, you hear the same scene over and over again. You know, right. so as crew, it may not be that interesting because you're kind of just hearing right. the same scene and they do a turn where they do it from the other side or the other thing. They have to relight. There's it's a lot not of a downtime. It's not a story. It's like a, a little yeah. little piece. Like and yeah, I, it's I, like a little vignette, and then it puts it all together in editing. Right, and I don't know? think people realize the. I mean, it's, it's made fun of enough that of like the the process that I think people yeah. kind of understand it, but I don't think they yeah. quite understand the process of like filmmaking in general. You know, sure. of how yeah. like it's to produce a quality film, quality piece of content that's visually stimulating is difficult. It it takes a lot of work. There's a lot of moving pieces. Yeah. There's a lot of um, there's a there's a lot of work that goes into it behind the scenes. Totally, and it's it's one of the interesting aspects of it is, you know, if, you know we as viewers we see what's in front of the camera, but if you turn around, if you were like were there in person and turned around, there's all these people that are behind the scenes behind the camera <laughs> yeah. making it happen everybody from craft yeah. services which what's craft services that's the food stand right that you get to have snacks in between your meals because meals are a, their own thing and we almost always especially for anything budgeted or union we get our meals paid for which is kind of a nice bonus so yeah like, we get our meals covered on set because you can't really leave yep and so um to lighting to yeah. to sound lighting craft services which is the food the snack food um, yeah uh, the sound the um the grips which are like all the hardware the, and like mm. the dollies like the gaffers for lighting right um art gaffers that's a big. that's a fun one you slipped in there that i guarantee <laughs> that n well the crew that's listening there's there's a good group of people from the the nonprofit that i used to work for that know exactly what that is that are probably yeah. listening but there's a good chance that a bulk of the people that are listening have no idea what gaff gaffing is or gaff right. tape you know, and I don't know, I don't know the etymology of the word, actually. I should, well, I should know this, but I don't. It's the tape. It's a special tape. So. Well, for sure, it's a special tape. Does it come from the tape and then that's Yeah, the I think that's it. It's just and like. here's some of the, my favorite terms. It's like extra sticky boy. duct tape, but it like doesn't, yeah. it's like masking tape, but, but sticky like duct tape. Yeah. But and it it's super expensive. And it's $15 a roll. <laughs> yeah, it's super expensive. Like, seriously, 15 <laughs> minimum a roll. Yeah. And so we have this gaff tape thing and like all, maybe that's where it came from. Then the, the person that's like so that's like the um, then they have their their second in that that department is usually called the best boy which I think is hilarious and it doesn't matter if it's a female or male it's just that's the title that's yeah. actually the title of the role and that's the second so the gaffing is lighting and mm -hmm. lighting is obviously super important like like if you shoot something just in your own life with your phone yeah the the lens is amazing and we have wonderful right. like amazing technology now compared to what you know 20 years ago even or definitely more than like 50 years ago holy crap like with with um film and all of that now we have this digital we kind of take for granted how 
accessible everything is yeah pictures and being able to share pictures like you right. said these things developed you yep know? yep <laughs> yep and if you lost your role i missed that film, you're screwed I yeah know. i miss that a lot weird like how it's a facilitated like impatience but there's something special um, about like that process when you were young yeah like that this the newest generation they have no idea they don't they haven't really ever got to experience that but the the idea of like going on vacation you had your disposable cameras that you'd buy you know a pack of three or whatever a pack of five and you'd save those cameras back and you didn't know for like a month or two you know that you even like what your pictures were going to be if they were good um You didn't know, and then you'd get doubles if you had, like, a yeah. group of friends that you wanted to share them with, and then you'd have a bunch that were crappy, and you'd, yep. you'd still get doubles of those, Yeah, these are just trash. And, It'd be, yeah, like, what, 27 pictures or something like that? 31, <laughs> 32 pictures in a roll? 32 you know. pictures in a roll. Yeah. Oh, my good Lord. And it's just, it's so different now, but... Yeah, so so gosh, we we are tangential, and you're totally <laughs> supporting my my habits of being tangential. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like so like, there's all these different roles. I've worked a I've worked a bunch. I've worked um, it's a little bit odd, but um, I've worked a lot in production where we mm-hmm. do more of the logistics, you know, producing, production managing, coordinating those kinds of jobs. Yeah. Where we're kind of responsible for making sure all the pieces come together. Sure. Um, from hiring crew to some of the research, to um. Clearance. like basically speaking to clearances <clears throat> speaking to all the heads of department to make yeah. sure everyone's like got what they need or all, as far as equipment or yeah you know um minding the budget all of that but then i've also worked in camera department um quite a bit like for pbs docs mm-hmm. which has been wonderful because then it's a it's a much smaller crew it feels more intimate you know yeah. like i did american masters with carol burnett and bob newhart and um i did um uh <laughs> this pbs series it's eight parts and I'm not in front of my computer. I'm just talking to my phone, so I'm not distracted. But it's called um, Sound Breaking. Okay. It might be called Record Breaking. And I always forget what the title is because <laughs> when we were filming it, it was called On Record. And okay. And the working title. And then they renamed it when they released it. And so my brain oh, was geez. like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, but it's an eight-part series that, um, that George Martin, who is the producer for The Beatles, was like his passion project at the end of his life. And I think his son took over because he passed away like – during production so they shot some in london but i was part of the la crew and we got to interview tom petty wow you know, before he nice. passed we yeah. got to interview um quincy jones um rick rubin who people don't who don't know don't know who he is but people who know who he is are like holy crap for rick rubin like he produced everybody from the beastie boys to okay. adele like he's just has this uh, metallica like massive career yeah okay multi-genre which is not that common a lot of people that are producers like say uh, a, a rock producer will only produce rock music because that's just what they're known for. That's what they're good at. That's their niche. This guy is like a, 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 the Midas touch. Like whatever he touches usually wins a Grammy. Like he produced Johnny Cash's final album, which was just heartbreaking if you heard it. Like, yeah. It's just amazing. He does covers of all these people from Nine Inch Nails to, I don't even know, Soundgarden or whatever, whatever yeah. he covered. It was just like, like his whole life experience was just like on every song of whatever he was singing it was just incredible so we got to meet him he was incredible uh jimmy iovine uh who was uh dr dre's like you know collaborator and oh, nice. kind of partner with with uh with beats and stuff so we got to interview him cool. so we had to interview a ton of people that was a really beautiful experience um working on those kind of documentaries and then i'll work on commercials like the deadpool one i mm-hmm. just was working on a commercial for usaa 
that I can't talk about because I signed an NDA. <laughs> <laughs> nice, which is again. pretty pretty common, right? I mean, that's pretty no, normal. I have signed so many NDAs I can't even keep track. When, you know, when I when I when I sometimes coach people, I'll you know I'll, we'll we'll set up an NDA together, and I'm like, this is no problem. Like I have no problem not talking about this because that's just what yeah. I'm used to. Like yeah. I just that's my default. But um, but what's interesting is my biggest NDA that I can talk about now because it's it broke in the news was right at the time that Marcus was dying, I was able to work a little bit here and there just to bring in some money. And, you know, yeah. we had a little bit of savings and then we had some donations from his students and from our family and friends that just help us get through all this, all this really challenging hospitalizations and stuff. Yeah. And he did have health insurance. So that really made an impact too. We just kind of living expenses, food, all that. But, um, so about a month or so, maybe two months before he died, I was in an interview that was conducted by Ronan Farrow, who is a, a a journalist right he's Mia Farrow's son he's a lovely human um and he did a shadow interview with a woman a shadow interview where they're not revealed who they are sure it's, it's just the outline of the person and like you have to light it a certain way and shoot it a certain way and then they they adjust their voice in, in editing and so this was a huge NDA that I signed because it was one of the people that had been um I had a negative experience I'll just call it that with Weinstein Gotcha. And so he was one of the people that, um, the, one of the journalists that revealed that story. And so that was one of the jobs I worked on. And I didn't tell anybody. I mean, I couldn't even, I didn't even tell Marcus. Yeah. And like, like, the like you know what's is, coming, but like. <laughs> here's my dark, here's my dark humor. He would have taken it to the grave, like very soon. Uh, but like, I didn't even tell him. So I was like, <laughs> I need to like not tell anybody about yeah. this of my NDA. <laughs> but holy crap, was that a huge story. Yeah, that for sure. That was a huge story. And what was interesting is they revealed to me that that this was like the eighth or something. I don't know the numbers, wow. but like it was not the first or second or fourth. Yeah. Crazy. It was like the eighth lawsuit that had been attempted. And so Weinstein and his lawyers were a bit smug. They were like, yeah, whatever. Like right. we're, it's not gonna it's not gonna touch us. And it actually it as we all know mm-hmm. now, it did. And and I think he recently got a, a, a sentenced yeah pretty a, pretty hefty sentence i believe so pretty hefty sentence yeah so and he's so, also tested positive for the coronavirus just stating the facts wait who did weinstein oh he did yeah i didn't hear that in the news well yeah. i'm not watching the news as much. I'm, I'm taking in piece very deliberate information <laughs> in the news because it's it's pretty intense to watch the yeah news it all is the time, I, so i don't do that i hit the but hit the highlights but i'm on twitter so i i saw it on there twitter, you go but, there yeah. you go the highlights so that was one of my my longest, my beefiest NDAs was nice. that <laughs> scenery that I did yeah. as a second second camera on that. But um, that was pretty interesting. Um, most people want to hear about Nan King because it won an Emmy. That was back in 07, I think, okay. or 08. And um, I was actually um, one of the first hires after the directors. I was uh, one of the producers, and um, I did a ton of research on that. Um I actually kind of like research. It's sort of uh, is a healthy way to express my mild OCD. <laughs> sure. What is, what does that look like? What is, when you say research, like what what yeah. is it that you is it just stuff that you're finding? Do the, does somebody give you like a paper and be like, hey, we need to know this stuff, or is this like, yeah. hey, research team goes after it and they create that, right. or what does that look so, like? So so for filmmaking, obviously it's different than like what they do in medicine or. In, biology where you're sure. in a lab so for us um we started with the book um which is what inspired the the uh one of the 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 producer that um that basically funded this project um 
he read this book called um, The Wraith of Nanking by Iris Chang and said, I want to make a documentary about this. And so he hired my the director, um, Bill Guntag, to um, direct this, this documentary. Uh-huh. And Bill and I had been working together on other projects, so he hired me as one of the producers to help put together the team and sort of um, create this documentary. And so the book was the beginning, and then we – Basically, because it was an historical documentary, it was a lot like history research would look, whether it was academic or, or somebody writing a book. Yeah. It was specifically for a documentary. And so we dug through historical archives and got um, from several different places. The National Archives, of course, is one of the biggest archive resources in the world and in this country especially. And then um, – there's a Methodist organization because one of the people that was there that was a missionary from the United States was affiliated with the Methodist church. So their letters were um, archived in the Methodist um, archives. I want to say that's in Georgia. National Archives is in D.C. And so I had researchers on my team in all these different locations that would work. You know, we'd even hire them for like a week to just go and be there every day and look through um, microfilm and microfiche and stuff like that because all this sure. stuff is not online. Even now, you know, 10 years later, it's probably still not all. Everything yeah. is not online is contrary to popular belief. And so it was also looking through film footage because there's some archive footage around, like newsreels back then, this is 1937, 38, were often played before movies. Yeah. And so it was like looking through some of those old films. And then wow. we were we were connecting with the um, Nanking Museum in Nanking, China, where we shot, I was there for I think five weeks. We shot for about four. I went out a week ahead of time to just prep, and I was there with my um, with our Chinese producer who's from Shanghai, so she was my interpreter, and then we hired interpreters so the Americans could communicate with the Chinese yeah. because we were not all fluent in Mandarin, not remotely. And so that was a fascinating experience. Um, but the, the research, that's kind of – so it looks like re- a ton of reading, some looking at footage. And then I – like so we did get nominated in uh, – in, nominated for an Emmy in research and people don't even know this category, but, um, it's outstanding achievement in a craft research, I think. Interesting. Craft research. And so we got nominated for, re- for an Emmy. We didn't win, but we won for outstanding achievement in a craft historical documentary. Wow. Think, cool. That category. That's really and cool. So Congratulations. Film, yeah. Thank you. The film won for that, but we got nominated for research. And I think, I think maybe my, my, they don't really tell you. They're just like, oh, you got nominated. But yeah, I believe that we got nominated because um, one of the people that I ended up connecting with was a, a gentleman named a really lovely professor at, at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln um, named Suping Liu, who had done had basically had the largest database of research on the rape of Nanking in the United States. Wow. And he was a Chinese-American man. And I found him one of the ways – I found to do research is you got to look through the bibliographies, mm. and so through several of the books we were using for research, I, I saw his his name in his book, which is more of an academic book, not a book sure. that you find at you know any kind of bookstore that would be popular, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I found his book and his name, and basically cold called him, and he because of what we were doing with the documentary, let me come and visit him, and um, we did thank him in the in the credits, and he let us utilize use all of his research material and we ended up having a larger database on the rape of nanking than the museum in china and so i think that's part of why we got nominated um and i'm a little bit like a bloodhound with like research i just like i like to dig into stuff like <laughs> I said, my 
my mild mild and undiagnosed OCD really <laughs> is useful in this because I just I just get like a little obsessive. I'm like, okay, I gotta dig more into this. Yeah. What's this, what's this angle? And I want to dig into that. Like, right. I probably could have gone into journalism. It's like documentaries is really closely related. A lot of people right. just crossover. But you know, it's weird. I was in, I was in high school um, when the internet came out, and it was very very beginning '90s and yeah. um, late '90s, and I remember going. This might make journalism uncertain. So I go <laughs> going into communications and filmmaking and playing music because I wanted to play music, but I didn't want to necessarily get a degree in music because what do you do? What what the what the heck do you do with that? So right. I got a communications degree, which felt more practical, and I enjoyed it. You know, I did some filmmaking in college, and then started uh, got a job with like NBC out of college on a on an unscripted show that was filming in San Diego where I was going to school, and so that kind of got me. Um, got my foot in the door, and then I had a friend who was a musician who hired me to work on an MTV music uh, video music awards, which I've done about nice. I don't even know. I think I've done about four or five of those in the dressing room department. Yeah, the rest is and history. So those, just kind of opened the, the door, rest didn't is it? History. Yeah, yeah. It's like those two things. The NBC job, which I got because I'd interned at a production company and had had some experience in my resume, and then my friend who was a musician that worked for MTV uh, as a freelancer brought me onto that. So those two kind of just kept. Get, generating more works and you meet people mm. on the jobs and yeah. all that and then you know life is is so interesting because we can make plans and then of course what really happens is maybe like some percentage related to what the plans are so I definitely didn't plan to be a widow at you know 39 but yeah um Mark I met Marcus in 2008 yeah 2008 so it was about a year after Nan King I was in grad school or finished grad school, I was sure. getting my psychology degree, and uh, and so then I kept working in film and TV, but I also spent some time as a teacher, I was developing my own, you know, music stuff, and, and he was, you know, working, teaching martial arts, and cool. working with clients, so we had kind of a really, it was really, um, it was pretty, it was a pretty beautiful partnership, because he would help me with music ideas, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd like, sometimes would apprentice teach for him, because I'd been training in martial arts for, seven years at yeah. that point and he said well you can, you're now at the level you can uh apprentice teach under me so we taught some martial arts together which was fun cool. but like it's not out of nowhere my dad was a football coach growing up so i was around athletics yeah and all that. so wait this is totally like this is non-linear storytelling right now yes so let's see I was but it's okay let's go let's 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 go back yeah let's go back so uh i was born it, in Duluth, minnesota okay yep and my parents one of my jokes, because I, okay, wait, this is going to be a tangential again. I'm sorry. I'm tired, yeah, but it's not. You're fine. So I worked on a festival called Catalyst in 2019. I was one of the producers yep. of that. I have heard and that of was Catalyst. in Duluth. Yeah, it was in my hometown of Duluth. And it had originally been in LA, then it was in Vermont for a few years, and then it moved to Duluth. And it's one of the only episodic festivals. So meaning, if you want to do a movie, there's tons of festivals to go to where you can um, submit your 30-minute film or your 8-minute film or your yeah. hour-and-a-half film. And, and submit it to this festival and get it shown and maybe get it bought and maybe make some money off of it and get distribution mm-hmm. or whatever. But there aren't that many festivals for people who want to make a series. Like, so if you write, write an episode, the first episode, or if you make a first episode, you can submit it to Catalyst and have the potential for it to get um, made into a series. Nice. And so that's what Catalyst is. So I connected with the, um, with the executive director of Catalyst and was like, hey, I worked in LA for years and I'm from Duluth. Like, I want to be involved. And so... I got involved with that, and um, so 
part of what helped with that is that my parents are from Duluth, both from born sure. there. Yeah. And um, my like my little joke is that my parents are demi celebrities in Duluth because they both <laughs> uh, grew up there. My mom was valedictorian of her high school class, or one mm-hmm. of the valedictorians. I think they had multiples at the nice. time. And then she was cheerleading captain, and my dad was a football star. <laughs> and so they both got full scholarships to go to the UMD, University wow. of Duluth, which most people only know because of hockey, if you're a hockey fan. Yep. But, um, like, and Duluth is, like, seriously, like, three hours from Canada. Like, it's really north. Right. You know, it's right yeah. at the tip of Lake Superior. <laughs> so it's cold, and that's part of why I left. I'm like, it's too cold, I'm going to San Diego. So Can't blame me there. Um, I love San Diego. Right? It's a beautiful place. So both my parents, high school, grad, um, high school, college, and then they both became public school teachers. Mm. So then my dad estimates he taught over 10,000 people in his career. My mom taught and then was home for a bit when we were kids and then went back to teaching. They both retired as teachers, public school. And so they have it's just like just this bevy of students over the years that are now, you know, adults and, you know, 60, some of them, because my parents both started teaching in their 20s. Yeah. And so they're, they, they just know a lot of people. So for Catalyst, we had like five major venues that were both um, for screenings, but also for like meetings or events. And three of them were run or owned by people my dad had coached. Oh, wow. So it's like 50% of our venues yeah. my dad has a direct connection to from like 20, 30, 40 years ago. Sure. And so so me having the family connection really yeah. paid off for like <laughs> connecting and helping build trust in Duluth. So I got involved with Catalyst. And so part of it was like kind of full circle. Like I've been out in LA all these years. I'm like, oh, I can bring that experience and apply it to like my hometown and, you know, bring this festival here. And the long-term vision is to bring filmmaking to Duluth and there's some challenge with Minnesota with incentives. So anybody listening to this, we, we would love to have incentives in Minnesota to bring the film industry um, to our state yeah. um, in part because it's just such a beautiful um, revenue generator and job builder for the state. It's like a lot of blue collar jobs, people mm-hmm. gaffing and doing grip work in <laughs> our department and transpo, which is teenagers, sure. you know, but um, so, so that's like, that's where I'm from. I left when I was 16 to go to the arts high school, which is a school in Minneapolis that um, is a uh, residential, if you're from out of town, otherwise if you're local, you can just commute. Um, arts high school, and I was in, in the music department there, though now I'm like, I should have been in the media department since I went in filmmaking. Oh, one little cute side note. In my elementary school in Duluth, all the students got a job. Like, you know, whether it was cleaning the chalkboards or, you know, working in the library, everyone had, like, service that they would do. Uh-huh. And I think it was, like, a couple hours a week, crossing guard, whatever. But, like, it totaled a few hours a week. It was just part of the school. I don't know if they still do it in elementary schools, but we did that. But, like, some students, for whatever reason, were picked um, early. So, like, it was always in sixth grade you'd start doing that, like, right around 11, 12, which is mm-hmm. about appropriate to have responsibility. Yeah. But for some reason, me and another kid – I don't remember his name, but I will eventually. Started in fourth grade. We got assigned to be the AV kids, which meant at that time nice, yeah. that we had to we Push had the... to lace film projectors yeah. <laughs> and facilitate, which is super nerdy, like not good for social, you know, social standing. But I had to learn how to lace a projector and and nice. show films in my classes, not knowing that someday I go to the film industry. Yeah, so, it wet odd. your it wet your appetite, I guess. It did. Well, I always love storytelling, and my dad. My dad loves films, so that yeah. was, my mom. It's always helpful. Them, but like, it's always helpful. And I grew up on like certain films that like really had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. Singer, like you know, The Sound of Music or The Wizard of Oz, and 
Annie were two of my favorites as a kid, so I would sing those songs at every family function. So I was growing up, growing up singing, and then the the AV on this like, on this super nerdy AV thing is just like, oh god, it's so funny. Like, yeah, I was an AV kid that is so, this such a suicide, <laughs> but I was like, okay, I'll do this job. Like I didn't know any better. You know, I was ten. Yeah. <laughs> on this note, how would you yeah. describe your childhood? What was it like for you? Oh gosh. Um, you know, it's funny because no child is childhood is without challenge, right? Because we're just like new to the world and trying to make sense of things. Yeah. So mine was challenging primarily because I was pretty sensitive, like emotionally sensitive, I think, you know, Uh I was pretty like, uh, I don't know, just like sweet and sensitive. And so my older brother was a bit of a bully, so that made it hard. (laughs) My parents, based on the profile just shared with you, were actually pretty lovely people. Um, and so they were very kind and, and both well-loved as teachers. So I'd like these pretty wonderful parents, but then a, a big brother who is a bit of a bully. We're very close now, by the way. So That's not, awesome. Even if you listen to this, you'd be like, yeah, I might have been a little bit of a bully. <laughs> like, you would have got to admit it, you know? Yeah. But, like, we're super close now, which is beautiful. And um, honestly, one of the great things about my child is I got to try a lot of stuff. So yeah. Even though we were pretty tight financially because my dad was teaching and coaching and my mom was a stay-at-home mom once mm-hmm. they started having kids, that's what they decided and what they wanted to do. So, like, the budget was tight, you know, on a one-teacher salary, and I was one of four kids. So by the time I came along third, they were on a tight budget, you know? Right. And so, but I got, but, like, we had hand-me-downs and we had, like, community because of my, my parents being teachers. You know, we'd get cross-country skis from a friend that we could use. And so I learned how to cross country ski and downhill, all those winter sports, downhill ski, cross country ski, ice skate. Like we had a lot of activities because my parents are both physical people. You know, my mom's a dancer and a pretty good golfer. And my dad's a, my dad, my dad's like anything with the ball I'm good at. So like basketball, softball, football was his favorite sport. Um, he didn't play tennis though, but that, that has a ball too, but um, golf, they both golf now. And so I had really, physically active parents and so that was part of what defined my childhood which I really liked because sure. then it wasn't hard when I right. was 14 I, was, I could just ski I was oh I'm just, we're gonna go down and skiing okay well I started doing that when I was five or whatever yeah so that I really really liked that and then we all my mom being a musician and a singer and a piano player we all played instruments but my older siblings didn't take to it like mm. I did and then my younger brother also played piano and so I played piano growing up did a lot of different physical activities, including dance, and that, that I think that's really big, and it's weird, because it's like, now I see it as an adult, and with my friends, because I don't have kids, so like my friends, it's like, there's a lot of carton people, carton kids around, yeah, but for with sure. my neighborhood, we were riding our bikes to softball, you right. know what I mean, it yeah. wasn't as much the parents being chauffeurs, we were a little more self-sufficient back then, with bicycles and stuff like that, and I think it's different now. Um, sure. But I think if your kids can, if you can get your kids active, I, I love that aspect of it because it let me try stuff without it being, well, you're going to be an Olympic skier. No, it's just like, this is what we do. It's wintertime. We're going to ski. Yeah. What, what, what else do you have to do? do? <laughs> you get stuck, in, stuck inside all day and just be just like, you know, kind of get um, cabin fever. Right. Go outside and we play. I mean, my mom would literally send us out to the yard and my, my friends in Southern California, where I lived for many, many years, they're like, oh, my God, you had so much winter. I was like, yep. We didn't make snowmen. <laughs> we made snow everything. Like, yeah. we made snowmen. My neighbor made a snow job at the hut, which is not that hard. He's just kind of a big blob. You 
That's awesome. What did you say? What did you say you wanted to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a singer. Singer. I wanted to be a yeah. I wanted nice. to be a song, a singer, songwriter, rock star. That's awesome. And so that didn't totally come to fruition, but I'm still doing it, which I like. I'm still writing songs and yeah, singing and and this show that I'm. I'm writing a show of storytelling and music together, and this this actually really feels like such a good fit for me because even though I love I love 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 music and songwriting, it also felt like one piece of the pie for sure. like what I like to do. You know, I love filmmaking, and so this feels like it, this feels like the whole pie that I have a show <laughs> that I'm writing that has storytelling and music, and then this that's like the 15 or 20 minute short that I'm like working on to start sure and then the whole show will be an hour to probably an hour and a half we'll have some some video we'll have some media because i have video of marcus because i'm a filmmaker oh, so nice. I'm making yeah. video of him you know teaching and even going through the process when he was sick he's like you should document this like this yeah this is this is relevant to share eventually and i didn't understand of course at the time but wow so i have it'll be multimedia and then i'll do some music i'll do some storytelling and then eventually i'd like to make it bigger too because you know Everyone, like you're saying, everyone experiences loss in their lives. And mm-hmm. So if I can share a little bit of my story about how, you know, like, yeah, we got to feel those feelings of grief and sadness, but there's also ways to really let that, for me, it's like I, I've found ways to transmute that into, you know, love and inspiration and creativity and joy and connection. And like, yeah. in a way, it's like I love the people, you know, I have some long, long-term friends, 20 30 years that I've known people and I'm like I love them even harder because mm-hmm. I lost Marcus yeah you know yeah so it I, just changes I, how you relate to the world oh completely and I, I love like this medium as well and the way I you know kind of bring <laughs> people along through this story of it's it's the origin story like you kind of mentioned in the beginning it's the this is what I'm doing this is where you know I came from. This is my childhood. This is my my middle school, high school. This is the decisions I made to go this direction and kind of led me to who I am. And you get some stories and tidbits along the way. And I, I look at that and I think about the different ways that you know we could you know you look at this medium in in a sense of how, what I'm doing with Crazy Face Uno, and um, I love that because it is documenting a part of your life. And I think it'll also be fun to look back years and years and years from now you know of some of these stories we all have those fun like things like whether it's a paper we wrote in college or some video or something we wrote in elementary school or high school and uh, something you see and you're like oh man like look how much i've grown up like look how much i've changed look how much my mentality's changed and i think it's cool to have these pieces that kind of are a piece of individuals you know it's a person's story um, to be able to look back on, I, I think it's kind of cool, and there's so many different directions and, and things you could do with with this concept. I think, but um, I agree with you. I mean, it's a it's a modern radio. Um, for sure. How, I, and I and when you first told me about the show, I was like, yes, I love this idea because mm-hmm. what what you can find when you talk to people is that right. everyone has an interesting story within their lives. Everyone and it, and it's experience. and and it's funny because I get you know I've I've sent out a bunch. I, I used to have a I don't know, I, I, I've sent out a ton of invites to different people, and mm-hmm. a common thing that I get back from a lot of people is, like, I don't know if I have a story to tell. And I, <laughs> You're I, like, do you know the title of my podcast? Yeah, I'm like, I kind of, like, shake my, well, it's in, like, everything I invite them to, too, but I like, kind of shake my head a little bit, and I'm like, no, you're wrong. Like, give me, give me a chance. Like, give me a chance to, to show you that you have a story, you know, and... 
Um, yeah. I think it's people. I love that. People, I think, That's are. so cute. You're like, uh, yes, actually, yeah. exactly what you said is why I did my show. Yeah. People think they don't have an interesting yeah. story. And everybody does. <laughs> yeah, I can promise you. Have like, you ever talked to somebody where you're like 10 minutes and you're like, yeah, you don't have an interesting story? And no. I've had people. Never. I've had the opposite. This is I'm I'm jabbing at you, Katie, because you're just like a fountain. But like I've had people the opposite of you, where it's like pulling teeth to get information out of them. Yeah, or like it's just like they answer it as in like a yes or no question, like yep, or like yeah, I've done that, you know. And you're like, cool. You want to elaborate a little bit more? Like, sure. Um, sure. And so those are. Out the story, but it's not that they don't have one; it's that they are reticent to share for some reason. Yeah, and those are generally yeah, the hardest ones for me, and I, those don't come along very often. But um, yeah, every once in a while, yeah. I'm, you, Katie, you're probably I'm approaching my hundredth podcast. <gasps> wow, good uh, for you! Yeah, I put out today was ninety three, number ninety three, oh, and I've got a few in the you. bank. So I'm yeah, I'm approaching a hundred, which is kind of cool. You know, I've I've backed off. I was doing twenty nineteen. I did three a week. And yeah. it's just a lot. It's aggressive. <laughs> and it uh, it's just, it's more of the scheduling. It's not, yeah. it's not doing the podcast. It's scheduling. It's coordinating. It's getting people's schedules, calendars, All you know. All the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even like I've done it Are where. Are you your own gaffer? Do you gaff for your own uh, I, I do it all. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one and the, the, the mini of, That's... of Crazy Face Uno. But yeah, it's, it's Crazy fun though. How'd you get this title? Yeah, it's a, uh, my nickname in college was Crazy Face. (laughs) (laughs) And when I was kind of exploring, well, I was on the, so I played soccer in college and I was on the the bus my, you know, in in preseason, we were doing two, three days stuff. And uh, I don't know, we were on our way to the practice field on this bus and one of the, there's an English guy on our team and there's like a bunch of them, but uh, he like looked at me, his name is John. He was like, man, you have a really crazy face. Like you make some really crazy faces. That's what we're going to call you. Crazy face. And your it just expressions. stuck. Your, the expressions of your face. Yeah. Well, ah. crazy face. I don't know. I don't know what his thinking was, but that's how it came. That's where it came about. <laughs> that just sounds to me like you're very expressive with your face. I'm something. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, but... I'm something. Yeah. I'm something. I don't know what it is. That's hilarious. <laughs> But that's where it came from. And then when I was like trying to come up with, you know, when I started this, had this idea and it kind of like sat around for a while in my head of like, man, it'd be really fun to do something like that or it'd be whatever it was. I always was like, my biggest holdup was I didn't know what the name should be because I didn't know where it was going. And then I started seeing different like YouTube channels and different like influencer type, you know, names and people. And it's like, it doesn't even matter what the name is. Like it really doesn't. So I went with Crazy Face Uno and uh, it's what I use and when I'm gaming or, you know, like if I have an app, you know, like the app store or whatever and you have to have like a username, it's like Crazy Face Uno. Uh, it's like Crazy Face yep. number one instead of a letter, it's just Uno or you Uno. know or uh, I don't know. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, so speaking of that, one of the funny things that happened is we I got to meet your dog. Oh, yes. Which, I don't know if you're talking about your dog on your podcast, but your dog is awesome. Yeah, he is awesome. He's normally, like, in – he's, like, he's my, like, co-host, co-host that doesn't ever say anything but kind of shakes his head and, like, snores every once in a while. Um, yeah, and, like, wags his tail, which for your dog means he wags his whole body. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Except like, for now that my wife's favorite. at home, he's in there with the wife. He, like – Right. Right. Cause she, is she working from home? Yeah. Yeah. Got so. it. 
So one of the things I'll just can I talk about your dog, Mr. Hare? Yeah, go for it. Because I've actually talked about your dog to unknown people you do not know. Cause it's I love it. Like my fa- one of my favorite things. He's the best. Is that your your dog is so happy. Mm. Um, yes, he and is. He's a three three legged dog. Yep. And I love this that he's just like what? I, like it just doesn't yeah. even face him. Like there's no, oh, no like lack of exuberance from this dog because nope. he has three legs. And on the contrary, he's like happier than any dog I've met. I swear. I know. And one of my favorite stories was that he likes to chase ducks. Oh yeah, he's he's. <laughs> He's so since you've been there, he's even caught a couple more. Like he's fast, and they're like Has stupid. He no, he doesn't kill him. No. He just like so he traps him, and then like yeah, this is potentially a hunting thing. I know that dogs have yeah. like you know ancestral memory for like what they're trained to do. I get that. Yeah. But like, so it could be a, a, an ancestral thing that his breed. Sure. Or a breed that he's you know because there are a lot of lot of blends and breeds now. Yeah. That that their job was to you know go go and get the the, the bird that was shot sure. down and bring it to their master, not like masticate or chew on it. Yeah. But I love that your dog catches ducks. Yeah, I don't. I don't like he it. Bite them. He's he listen. Well, I don't know. There's one that he got a hold of well, with I mean, his mouth that he like held on to. I don't know how hard he was biting, but okay. <laughs> I was well, like, they, 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 bro. They Go, right? No, he just has a couple feathers in his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but this is my favorite. That he like has it in his mouth and then he brings it to you and he's like like now what? Like here, look what I did. Uh, and then you're like, put it down. They're not like, little ducks okay. too. They're these like big fat, like goose looking duck things here around here. Oh my God. Okay, I have a I have a story for you. We're like totally <laughs> off the rails here, but it's totally fine. <laughs> Katie, listen to the story. We're he's we're giving him a tooth hug. Yeah. We were walking him yesterday, mm-hmm. and one of our neighbors on the other end of our apartment complex, uh, they she's out, her and her husband are out quite a bit, and so we, we stopped when she's like, how are you guys doing, you know, like, one to pet chance, like, cool. They have this little dog, it's like a little chihuahua, and uh, you've been to our place, I don't know if you saw while you were here, but there's these massive iguanas, and I mean mm-hmm. m- massive, I they're like, they're really big, they're orange, and I mean, I'm like Florida. I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I say like probably 25 pounds there's a good yeah, possibility they're... it's a little bit bigger but they're they're not yeah. small things and the and big ones wild iguanas like we have squirrels in Minnesota yeah. they have iguanas in Florida yeah and the, and and the big one there's this one specifically it's massive it's huge there's two of them but there's one specifically that's extra big and he's not afraid of anything he doesn't move for anybody he like turns his head and kind of looks at you and like he'll eventually run so my neighbor was telling us uh this story of like seven months ago their little dog was out and like went and was like barking at the iguana and the iguana grabbed a hold of him and drug him into the water the iguana took a chihuahua into the water what and let it go eventually got it back or whatever but the chihuahua survived? Yeah, it's fine. It barks its head off every time it sees us. Can you believe that an iguana grabbed a hold of this dog, this chihuahua, and drug it into the water, into the lake? That's amazing. And the chihuahua survived. Yeah. Wow. I mean... That's wild. Yeah. It There's still blows my mind. release policy. Yeah, apparently. Not. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm never really, I'm more worried about him getting a hold of a duck because our dog, uh, Chance, because, I mean, he could injure it, kill it, you know, whatever. 
And I'm like, I don't want that to happen. But the iguanas, usually the smaller ones are like scared. They, as soon as they see it, they're like, nah, I'm out of here, dude. We're, we're gone. Like they hit I mean, the trees, the hit the water. Ch- Chance has to weigh about ugh, 60 pounds. He's 50. 50 solid, okay. solid 50 pounds. He's a solid 50 pounds. So <laughs> I, I don't know that iguana could get him, but goodness, he's definitely, I could see. Well, they whip their tails. So I, I have I have a feeling that he would just get like bopped, but I mean he would lose with the fight with an iguana instantly, like even at fifty pounds. I, I still yeah. swear he would lose. And he's not like he's not he's really not an aggressive guy, like No, it's just, he's kind of a lover. Yeah, he just wants to like hang out and chill and sleep. He sleeps yeah, all day cuddle. long. Yeah. He has to cuddle and then chill and then run a little and chase the bird to chase the ducks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I love your dog. I had a really fun time hanging out with both uh, you and your wife and the dog, of course, too. Yeah. It was really, it was really lovely. I know. I wish we would have got to spend more time together, but you got to hang out with Chance more than you got to hang out with me. Yeah. Well, Florida. You know, <laughs> yeah. Florida's a good place to visit. Come now, on down. your family's like in Ohio? Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Um, but your wife's family's here in Minnesota. Correct. Yep. She grew right? up in like the Apple Valley area is where she grew up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So for people who don't know, that's just like a suburb of of Minneapolis. Yeah, it's like the suburbs yeah. of the Twin Cities of, of Minneapolis, yeah. over by the Mall of America. Hop, skip, and a jump. Hop, so. skip, and a jump. Everybody <laughs> knows the Mall of America. Yep, it's just the one I thing know. you just throw out there. It's a commonality thing. <laughs> well, I feel like Prince too. Minneapolis. Oh yeah, of course, always. Yeah, yeah definitely for sure. Well, yeah. let's let's. Let's steer this shit back in the right direction. How, how do, what do you okay. say? Um, yeah. What you're, the, you're, the, you're the captain. <laughs> Looking specifically at like adolescent, you know, middle school, high school time, how, what kind of a student were you? Um, in case the AP nerd thing wasn't an indication, I was, uh, <laughs> I was a bit of a nerd. Sure. Well, it's funny because I was a nerd, but I also was like, a little bit it was in sports and then I was in dance line in high school before I went to the arts high school so I wasn't like a social pariah nerd um but I definitely was a very studious yeah student and I'm an outlier if you will yeah yeah I was an outlier I got you know I got sequestered in fourth grade into like I think it was one day a week or one I don't know if it was an afternoon. I just, I, it wasn't every day, but I was in like this group called Sage for a bit that was like for anybody who tested high on, on some of the standardized tests. So I was a little bit of a nerd, which really set me up well to be with somebody like Marcus because he was silly smart. Mm-hmm. And um, the truth is I like I like to learn. And my parents being both teachers, I'm, cer- I'm certain helped. You know, it's not yeah, me. Absolutely. I can't really take responsibility. Like even when people, you know, and sometimes I'll coach guys on how they are with women and I'm like, look, find things about her that are beyond her looks to compliment her on because mm. intrinsically everybody knows that they're not really, I mean, yes, people can take care of themselves and be healthy and exercise and all of that, but we're not really responsible for how we look. That's mostly genetic. Sure. You know? Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of what I got from my parents is, you know, genetics. So I have them to, to credit for, you know, having the brain I have or yeah, the way that I look and all of that. But I, the truth is I, I like to learn. I do like to learn. Yeah. And so, um, I, you know, I was, I was, as a student, I was, I was that, you know, I, I was a good student and I liked to learn and probably had a little bit of a people, people pleaser too in me. Sure. Being a third kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Being wanting attention maybe or whatever. 
Um, and then when I went to college, so, you know, I, I I'm going to freeze. Yeah. I'm going to, I want to, we're going to stay in high school. So I'm going to, I'm oh, going to, okay. I'm going to push that one down, down the line. Cause you, you made a comment <laughs> and it leads into my, my follow-up question, which was how would you describe your relationship? Like with your family, with your parents, you know, you had yeah. three siblings, something for me that, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but that always blew my mind. It wasn't until, I don't know, out of college even that I realized that like a sibling didn't mean that you were like best friends with them, which for me, I grew up as an only child most of my life. I have a stepbrother and sister that came along a little bit later in life and uh, you know, but I didn't live with them. I never have had that kind of relationship. And yeah. um, so I had teammates when I, when I worked at the, the invisible children, the nonprofit and uh, there I had two teammates that had like six siblings and or like one of six. And I was like, Whoa, what's that like? Like you have so many. And I, this was the first time I ever learned of like, oh, well, I'm super close with this, you know, brother, but like, I don't know, me and my sisters aren't that close or vice versa, you know, whatever it was. And uh, I just found that really fascinating. So I'm always interested in like people's relationships with their family and like what that looked like and, uh, you know, parents, siblings, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so that, so got it. Um, It's funny because, you know, we, we often as humans, like we, are like long for what we don't have and so I was third of four and my family was a bit unconventional in that my older two siblings were adopted and so my parents in their 30s which is you know late for that generation you know my parents like I said are 81 and 79 so they were born in the late 30s early early 40s um and then I was born in the 70s the, um, they were in their 30s when they started having kids, whereas most people were having kids in their, at 25, 27, yeah. you know, back in the 70s. And so they adopted two because they weren't getting pregnant, and then they got pregnant with me and had me and my younger brother, Dave. Mm-hmm. And so there's four of us, but two are adopted, um, and then two are biological. Very cool. And, um, and so that provided, oddly, some data for me as a curious person and somebody who like to learn around what is when I first heard nature versus nurture as I don't even know probably junior high or high early high school I remember thinking oh my family is a great uh, uh, case study for this because (laughs) what is nature what is nurture yeah it's really alarming how many different personality traits really feel like and and habits Mm. feel like they're actually from a genetic component and you know as somebody who meditates and and has studied psychology everything one of the things I really like to talk to people about or look at is that and I think Russell Brand is who I credit but I'm sure he wasn't the first to say it he just is popular and has a podcast I listen to from time to time yeah he said look you're running a program either way either sure. it's unconscious or conscious so you're either running the unconscious program of your family genetics of your environment and all of that yeah or you're running a conscious program based on like hey I don't like this this thing that I do. I don't like this habit. I don't like this way mm-hmm. of being. I don't like this way of reacting to something. I don't like this mindset, this emotional state, these thoughts I'm having. So I'm going to change it because I'm running a conscious program. So either way you're running a program. Yeah. And so I see, um, I see some of the genetic programming that's different between, and my older brother and sister are not, they're not related. They were two different families. We're all Caucasian. What's interesting is my brother Dave and I who are both the biological kids both brown-eyed, um, brown-haired, but blonde when we were kids. Sure. My dad's blue-eyed, brown hair. My mom's brown-eyed, brown hair. My mom's more um, Eastern European, like uh, uh, Yugoslavia, Ukraine, Russian, and 
you know, Russian and Serbian. My dad is uh, Norwegian, kind of, I say he's a Viking because he's like built like a Viking, he's very barrel-chested, <laughs> big guy, you know, and like, you're not, you're not like a Norwegian or Scandinavian, you're a Viking dad, he's like, yeah. Yeah, probably, you know, <laughs> um, but, um, but uh, my older siblings are, you know, blue-eyed and both left-handed, and my brother Jordan is <laughs> right-handed, so that's kind of an interesting little odd, yeah, you know, cool. gen- genetic recessive, because both, I think, left-handedness and blue-eyed are recessive traits, Yeah. and then, like, my older siblings, like, my sister was a good athlete, but she was uh, good at swimming, my brother Mike, not an athlete, um, mm-hmm. great mechanic, pretty smart, sure. but not necessarily the best student, but was is really good at fixing things, and, like, smart about it, yeah. you know, in a way that I'm not, and then I was book smart like my mom. Um, my brother Dave was a little like more of a hybrid. But like, so am I close to my siblings now? Well, oddly, I'm closest to my the middle brother who's adopted, Mike. Um, in part because over the last several years as adults, he and I just got closer. Yeah. Um, in part because he was the only one that could like get off of work, had a flexible enough work schedule, and like, um. Uh, could you know had the you know resources or even the flight flights like yeah, I think he had miles or some one of his friends gave him miles to come out and be with me when Marcus died yeah. like he was the only one my mom had come out and then had to fly back because my dad had unfortunately take slipped and fallen on the ice and hit his head and so she had to fly back to Minnesota to be with him which was sure. just like a whole yeah crazy stressful time for me because my partner just died and then my dad is in the hospital i'm like jesus i can't like this is so this is yeah. just so much stop but um so <laughs> stop Mike it was there with, yeah stop it like enough enough can i yeah like, like can uncle like yeah stop. you got so me Mike All right. and I are, yeah you got me mike and i are super close my sister tina and i were close growing up but not as close over the last several years and she yeah. had, she was she had a hard time with my relationship with marcus she didn't really um you know, approve of him, which mm. is interesting. And so even though she and I still talk, you know, we have not like, you know, gotten to the point where we don't talk or anything. It's still, we're not as close as we once were and that's okay. She's a lovely human. We just aren't as close as we once were. Yeah. And then my younger brother, Dave and I are, are, are probably, you know, close ish, but he has a wife and a kid and he's really consumed with that. And so we have nice talks when we talk, but the, the one I'm closest to is Mike, who was yeah. my bully growing up <laughs> and that's one of the pieces i talk about is like the power of forgiveness is like yeah, if i were sure. holding on to that as like i'm gonna be forever a- angry at you about that mm-hmm. like we're kids yeah. you know yeah it's like no like of course i like we grow up for, we change know, like it's okay we grow up we change and it's yeah. okay and it's like i was probably annoying i was probably an annoying singing cute little perfect student you know to an <laughs> sure. older brother he's sure. like oh yuck you know what i mean yeah. like so it's so annoying she's cute and like singing it all all the family functions blah stop it you're like i kind of get it in a weird way you know? yeah exactly and yep so i can just i can just kind of like i don't know i did i did i did it wasn't accidental it was deliberate in my grad school there was a lot of like encouragement around like forgiveness of like some of our most challenging relationships we had like projects on that so it was uh-huh. very much like work on your own stuff if you so, like, as part of your growth, but if you do plan to go on to be a marriage and family therapist, which a lot of my classmates did, or a coach, yeah. which I do, um, the, uh, the one of the best ways to do that is to have your own experience of what it really is to forgive and what mm. it really is to, like, change your patterns, change your habits, uh, work through your own stuff so that you're in a position to be able to help other people. Yeah. Um, it's re- know, it's um, relating to people stuff. and kind mm-hmm. of understanding that process and the different feelings throughout it. 
Yep. But yeah. we're very different. You know, some families have like, oh, they're all scientists or they're yeah. all this or that. Nope, we're all different. We have That's different cool. Jobs that we do. I'm the only one that moved far away. They all stayed in Minnesota, and then I came back, you know, two years ago. And so, um, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. It would be very different life if I was an only child. I think oh, that yeah. my parents would have put way more pressure on me to be like who they thought I should be or, or even mm. just like to be, you know, kind of like I probably would have stayed in Minnesota, but because I had these other siblings that were older than me and Mike was a bully, I had this sort of, uh, uh, itch to like go further away and explore the world. Yeah. But See, but I like, feel that way. And I was an only child well, and, and go. maybe the, maybe, maybe it's the reverse, you know, type of thing. Like I did experience some of that, like, I don't know. Pressure sheltered not even sheltered it's just like um i felt that expectation as as a yeah. child but like also i don't know i think i i was the only one you know so i got all the attention from mom i got all the attention from dad like i, I didn't have anybody to blame anything on you know what i mean so like there's all these different <laughs> things like i was a mama's boy growing up like not in a bad way not in like the maybe the most stereotypical way but like yeah, I don't know. Like, I was, and I think as I got older, I'm like, man, I gotta get the heck out of here. I gotta figure. I gotta find my own life, you know, and like, yeah, figure what that looks like and find that freedom and um, discover myself. So I don't know, but I see. I can totally see what you're saying, and I can also yeah. see it like from my perspective of like, well, I flew the coop, you know, and like yep. haven't been back since. Um, yeah. Like really, you know, and and different feelings about that, but um, yeah. Yeah, that, that that's really that's really interesting because that was part of my thing with flying the coop was to go find myself. Yeah, and I like I I attributed it to like one of my jokes growing up was like I can't go anywhere with my father and ha- not have somebody know him. Like sure. everywhere in public we. Go well, and I was the same way. <laughs> you same had the same thing. Well, my my dad was a pastor growing up. Oh. So yeah, yeah. For you know he for eighteen years he's he's since left the ministry but um. So kind of the same thing, you know, I always had this like, I always had this unrealistic expectation as to who I was supposed to be. Mm. And I was always supposed to like try to be fit into that box into who, um, you know, people thought I should be because of who my dad was and who my mom yeah. was and all this. And so yep. I, it, it's interesting because as I get older, I'm still fighting some of those things that were, you know, those, those, uh, um, yeah, I don't know, just like. I'm a people pleaser, and so I don't know. If, I don't know if you relate to this, but I felt like any screw up, if I would screw up, it would reflect badly on my parents, and that made me nervous. So I think it made me want yeah. to more, but then it made me feel confined. So then going far away made me feel like okay, I can, I can. I'm trying not to swear on your podcast, Shane. You can, can swear, my, yeah, can, you can swear. Can it's I, cool. I yeah. can fuck up, and it won't get back to my parents because I'm just like still a young. Like you know, 19, 18, 19 when I moved to San Diego, yeah. I need to be able to do that. And so you're like, you're a people pleaser, but you also were like, I need to go out in the world, yeah, and figure out who I am. And yeah, that's the like, thing. I have freedom to screw up a little bit and not be right. Like, oh, let's go get back to my dad, and it'd be a whole thing, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. There's definitely a lot of similarities within that. But the thing that's really interesting for me, at least, is that I'm also enough of a like don't tell me what to do kind of person. And I don't know when that. <laughs> I don't know when that came along, but like, don't tell me what to do. Like, I'll make my own choices. And, um, and I don't know exactly when I, I have a feeling it was probably, I mean, I think 
college really fostered that in the friends that I was around, but I was always pushing, pushing the boundaries. Like in, Mm. in our friends group, you know, if you ever go back and if anybody listening wants to go back and listen to some of, um, podcast from last year, we, I was able to get back together with some of my old college friends, uh, my best friends, the, the group of guys that I really like got to hang out with a lot and spend a lot of time with. And, um, you know, just kind of talking, we were, it's just funny the things you, they kind of come out and talk about, like, I never realized we, we really did push the envelope. We pushed, we pushed the boundaries at our college. We went to a super conservative Christian school and we made them think about a lot of things, you know, whether that was, uh-huh. Hey, we're going to stick up for the for the poor, for the LGBTQ plus community, for, you know, and we're going to make you think about those things and challenge you to, are you right? Or, or, you know, like maybe you should think differently or maybe you should have a different perspective. And, um, so we really pushed back and, and I think that fits who I am. And I think that was really a coming of age time for me of when I, I can pinpoint specifically the, the moment when I, I think my world kind of changed and it's specifically in like thinking for myself and on my own. And, uh, yeah, and I think that's really carried on. So it's just, I'm constantly at battle with myself of pleasing people and also sticking up for myself. And those clash really hard for me. Um, mm. because I feel guilty when I stick up for myself because I'm also not pleasing that person the way I would want to. Does that make sense? Interesting. It yeah. Does. I'm I'm pretty self-aware of it, so, you know, it's just something I have to, like, sometimes I have to allow my emotions to settle down and think with a clear head, but, um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you, I'm sure you've experienced, the awareness is what is part of what is, like, part of the necessary stages of, of development. For, oh, like, for sure. Shift, shift in, in patterns or whatever. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Good for you for being aware. I mean, did you go to college in Indiana? Yes, I did. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, Good for you for like pushing the envelope at your <laughs> yeah. Christian school. Yeah, we we definitely did. We definitely did. Uh, I I would love, I would love, love, love. Uh, I haven't done it yet. It's it's on my list. You know, I've got lots of people I know, but I'd love to have some of our old professors on just to kind of talk about you know those different things and some of our some of my buddy one of my buddies like he still works at the school now and you it's one of those things that wow. like you would have never guessed you would have necessarily done that out of all of us yeah. he's probably the one to do it but yeah. you know it's it's interesting to hear some of the things like you know we really made an impact at that school you know yeah. I see some of the things that we really pushed against and um and I see how they are today and and how we made a difference totally. and that's kind of cool you know yeah um quick question are the professors pretty much required to be Christian to teach there yes I believe so yeah, that's interesting because I had this notion growing up because I was around, like my parents were Methodist, so it was pretty mild as far as the yeah. religious, you know, stuff. And I was baptized Serbian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox. Okay. But that was more of like a cultural thing than yeah. something that like was like a religious, like weekly. The Orthodox, right? Church we went to was Methodist. Yeah, yeah. Orthodox, yeah. It was yeah, more of a cultural thing. My dad was a uh, pastor, are you familiar with Church of God denomination? Yes. So it's like a branch off of the Methodist, I believe, side of things. Yeah. So, um, so probably, strict, probably right? similar. No, yeah, it's it's a Protestant Christian church, yeah. but there's still there's different levels there's to that. Still some dogma, <laughs> different levels. Oh, there's like, a lot of dogma, but yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of dogma. But like, sure. it's funny because I had this idea that like people who are believers, like especially for some reason Catholic, I felt like they were just like staunch like they just never Mm. had any kind of wavering 
and I met a priest. I've I've known you know several priests over the years, but I met one recently, uh, maybe last year, through like just one of like just a meetup group I was going to yeah. called Miracle Morning that my friend organized, and it's a really cool group just like talking about different things people are working for in their lives or different practices. Um, you know in the mornings based on that book that was like miracle morning these different things you can do in the morning to set your day up to be great yeah and this priest shared that he had had like some crisis of faith and stuff yeah and and, and like was a career priest like 20 plus years yeah. in and it really struck me that you know just how erroneous my idea was that people in like well, clergy people never have crisis mm-hmm. of faith and like the only reason i say in regard to your um school and the professors is like you know, I bet some of them might be willing to talk to you and even their own experience oh, I know. of being I know. a professor at a yeah. Christian school. And it's like, yeah, I have times where I right. question my faith and I st- and I come back to it or I have this career. And that was part of his thing. I was surprised that he was like, well, yeah. it's my career. Right. I was like, oh, I just assumed it was a calling and you just had to believe constantly and, or else you couldn't do it. Yeah. Like, totally naive it, And that's, that's, that is a thing, like, no. though. That is a thing. You know? I mean, but it's different within, you know, priests being a priest or within the Catholic Church and, and that sure. that side of things because too. Of how but much it affects your lifestyle. For yeah. Sure. Whereas Methodist pre- Methodist minister can get married and yeah. have children and all that stuff. And, but know, I think course, it's and you don't get you know, it's a, or whatever. It's often though very much an identity within people, um, yes. and something that yes. you've built in. And this is something that I I've. I don't believe the same things I used to believe anymore, Katie. We, mm. I don't know if we've talked about this, but like, I don't call myself a Christian anymore. Like, there's a bunch of different things. But, um, long story short, or you know, part of this is, you know, a priest, they have their own opinions, and they don't have to. They don't always agree with the different things that are canonized in the Bible and all these different things. But they still, when they're on that pedestal, they're gonna preach that, you know. Um, yeah. And and it's different, which is which is kind of interesting. I think the. You know, we could compare the Protestant and the, the Catholic Church. There's a, tons of things to, to compare. But, yeah, it's just interesting, um, that that world. It's a whole other world. It's a whole other world. Yeah. I, it's funny. I do talk about it in my show, which uh, eventually I'd love to even share just a, a video clip or read it for you sometime. Yeah. The 20-minute show. But um, I talk about that. Like, part of my experience with Marcus transitioning was I felt, I felt him. I felt like mm. – I felt – like communication almost with him yeah and i and I'll, i explain it more in depth in my show in my show which i'd love to like i said i'd love to share with you but yeah i actually do take a little sidebar to go i've never like identified myself as like a believer even though i dabbled mm. and i was around yeah. methodist growing up and i you know i was I, I was involved with stuff and i i dabbled in you know not just methodist but you know was around catholic yeah. People and some of their events and some of their services and yeah, absolutely. And Buddhism, of course, as a you know meditation person. Or, yeah. You know yoga, different things, and like in ways, I kind of find it enviable. People that mm. just have this this like belief, unwavering belief. I'm like the enviable yeah. conviction that they know what happens when you die. You know, like I didn't have that. Yeah, I can tell and you. I had this very personal experience of Marcus dying and feeling like I could. Yeah. Feel him. You know, as he transitioned and not not mm. having any expectation that that would be my experience. Yeah, yeah, wow. We've got yeah. man, Katie. There's so much we could talk about. We're at 82 minutes right now. <laughs> so we gotta wrap it up. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it up because I want to have plenty of time for you to answer the last four questions. Yes. So I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in. These are the you know these are the intense questions. We we're kind of skipping over college, so you're gonna have to come back on sometime. It's just the way it's gonna be. 
Okay, I partied a lot. Just kidding. <laughs> such a good little student. All right, you ready for the final four? Final four questions yes, I'm here. I'm ready for the final four. All right. Is that my favorite curse word? <laughs> hey, what is it? Go ahead. No. Fuck. It's such a versatile word. I know, right? It's so great. You can make a whole sentence out of it. Fuck the fucking fuckers. <laughs> oh, you're, you're killing me. I love it. I love it. This is great. <laughs> On that note, what would you say you're most proud of today? <laughs> I told you, I'm coming for you now. Okay, so, um, okay, so, so one of the things about questions like this that I like to do is I like to say, like, the first thing that comes up, the first sure. thing that comes to the surface, like, the first thing, and I've read you know, Malcolm Gladwell's blank or whatever, you know, yeah. that was with, you know, first instinct. So here's the thing that I, that I really want to be here, you know, like the, the losing someone like Marcus, who, how significant he was to me, how much mm. we still loved each other after nine years, you know, we, we weren't anywhere near breaking up. Yeah. Um, that like, that feels like it threatens one's will to live. And I say it that way because, you know, I, I don't want to, <laughs> raise any red flags for anybody that was yeah. concerned about my personal safety but like it definitely like and it was such a intense year uh the last year of his life of us yeah you know trying to kind of save his life uh, and i say kind of because like we couldn't overcome what the damage that had been done to his body but we kept surviving for so many months with all these different you know infections and then it would clear and then he'd have a surgery and he'd wake up and it's like oh he just keeps surviving so Maybe he's gonna get better and just yeah. just just being on dialysis would be a dream after this experience where he just was like close to dying all the time. Mm -hmm. And so after that experience, the fact that I like want to be here and that I'm like mm. generally like my baseline is like actually pretty happy and grateful. Like yeah. that feels like that <laughs> feels like a fucking accomplishment. Yeah, for you sure. Know? No, like, I get it. I'm still engaging in life and i and i've found like joy and gratitude yeah it's sound it's a strange thing to be proud of but like okay how about this something slightly more tangible my parents as i've described them are lovely people but that final year of his life i you know i felt kind of abandoned by them because i'd asked them if we could move to duluth to stay with them while marcus mm. was sick and in and out of hospital and they said no for a variety of reasons yeah. And look, I get it. I'm gonna I'm a grown adult. Like I, I should take care of myself, but I really kinda wanted them to like yeah. just be there for me. Even though I was planning to like take care of all of Marcus's needs, I wasn't expecting them to like take a shift on like bringing him a mm -hmm. meal or something when yeah. he was unable to get out of bed. I felt really sad and abandoned by that. And then in my process of grief, I really kind of and they did they did apologize and it, it it was challenging for the first six months, especially. Sure. But I've I've worked, as we would say in my school, my grad school. I've worked my process of forgiveness with them, and so my, I'm closer than ever with my my parents. That's awesome. And that that part of it was like I don't want to lose them too. Yeah. I just lost Marcus. I don't want to lose them too, and we had some very intense conversations, you know. Yeah. Around it all, and I did say my piece around like what that was like for me to not have them there for me when mm -hmm. I needed them the most, you know? Yeah. But that's probably one of my, my most proud things is that I, I was able to reconcile. Like, forgive. Yeah. For, forgive and reconcile them with them in light of this really challenging, devastating life experience and, and have this beautiful connected relationship with them 
Good that for you. if I'd held on to the to the to the to the grief, to the anger, to the disappointment I felt, I wouldn't have that relationship. But instead, I was part of my process was to feel those feelings and to also just kind of empathize with them. They were scared too. Yeah, they were for scared sure. of what that would be for me. They didn't want to have to watch me go through that. They didn't want to watch him die. They were both. They, they were scared too. And yeah. being able to understand that really helped me in my process of forgiveness. So that's those are two. I gave you two. <laughs> Perfect. That's fine. Do you ever think about your legacy? Is that question two? Yeah. Do you ever think about your legacy? I do. Um... Just a time check. We have two and a half minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> I might be verbose. So my legacy, I thought for a long time it'd be songwriting and it might be, but I sort of feel like my, my legacy, hopefully, I, I, I hope my legacy would be to have a positive impact on people on how to deal with loss and grief and sadness and challenging emotion and find gratitude and gifts and love and compassion and creativity and transmute sadness into creativity and connection and love that's what i would like my legacy to be i, I love it i love it you did great that was uh 45 seconds that was great. <laughs> I'm trying. Question two more. Three. Two more. Question three. Uh, what do you look forward to most in your future? Do you have any goals or ambitions? Oh, my God. Too many. I have too many goals. We can skip over that one. We can skip no, over that one. What do I look forward to? I can just, sure. I can, I can just say one thing or whatever. Sure. Go for like it. If that's, a, that's a one of your staple questions. Um, well, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be super, like, pedantic about it. I want to become a better sailor. I've been sailing. Mm. I've been sailing um, kind of for 20 years I love just it. That's like awesome. as a crew on somebody's boat but I yep. just want to get better at it because it's been sort of uh, sporadic so I yeah. want to do it more and I will get better at it and I, it's something that fully engages me physically and mentally and emotionally and so I love that so That's I want to be better sailing That's awesome. That's my life goals. last question you ready? yes looking back what advice would you tell little Katie? oh Jesus invest in Apple stock <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it so much. You got to come back on. Can I can I, I hold your feet to, to the fire and, and say you got to come back on? All I right. would love to come back on. Let's do you, it. I mean, there's more to talk about? No. You've yeah. been a delight. You've been a delight. Thank you so much, Shane. Absolutely. What a lovely host and interviewer you are. Thank you, my dear. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for being such a fun uh, guest. Yeah, so much. I, we have so much to talk about. We're, we'll get to it one of these days. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you again for listening and engaging with us. Go check out crazyfaceuno.com. We love you. Peace.